The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is the Freedom's Disciple podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Dunn. This is the show exclusive to the Blaze where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. I hope you're having a wonderful and blessed weekend and a blessed week, depending on what day you're listening to this. I want to have a conversation with you today. And it's not going to be like a normal show where we break down four different topics and four different principles and we go through them. Today is kind of going to be all linked into one because I need to have a conversation with you. The topic of the conversation today is going to be about American exceptionalism, about conservatism and about the path forward. And it was inspired by two things. One, we have recently gained a a good few new listeners which to who I say welcome. I was on Glenn Beck's show a couple of weeks ago and um, a lot of people found out about this show and have started tuning in and have had correspondence with uh, several of them and they've asked me to an Irishman, why is American exceptional? Why do you see it? Can you, can you give a breakdown? And I'm going to do that. But also it's inspired by a second reason because when you're listening to this, if you've been following the news, CPAC was this week. Now, this seems to be a bit of a breaking news to people who don't know what CPAC is supposed to stand for, but the C in CPAC is supposed to stand for conservative. I'm not happy with CPAC. I have always accepted that CPAC has always been not really conservative for a very long time. It's always embraced and allowed or accepted that, you know, the Republican Party needs to have a platform there as well. And you've had people like Mitch McConnell speaking at CPAC. You've had people like Paul Ryan speaking at CPAC who are not conservatives. They've had many non-conservative speakers, but I've always accepted that as, well, John, that's just you been Monday morning quarterback. That's just you been, well, look, if you would do things, you would do things different. However... The last two years, and I was at CPAC last year, last year we had the whole debacle of Milo. And CPAC saw in its wisdom to overturn it. This year they have invited and let speak one hour after Mike Pence, Marion Le Pen. Now, the reason I am so upset about this is because I want to talk to you Um, about conservatism today. I want to talk to you about Le Pen. I want to read from their manifesto of what they actually stand for. Because two, three years ago, I thought we were all on the same page, that European left and right was not American left and right, that they were different. However, the powers that be at CPAC and in America seem to have forgotten this. And I think it's absolutely vital that we have a conversation today about what's the difference between America and other countries 
and why the left and right in America is completely different to the left and right in Europe and in other places. But where to start? Well, we're going to start the, at the very beginning. Because what I want to do today is I want to lay out to you in very quick shots, and I've been doing this uh, in broader terms in you know with the Constitution, but I want to give you a quick snapshot of why America is exceptional. Factually, why you're different to other nations. And when I do this, I want you then to, when I do the rest of the show, when I talk about the European left and right, I want to see, ask you a question. Think of did, what John spoke about in the first segment about why America is exceptional. Do I hear any of this in what we're talking about, about European left and right, and about Marine Le Pen and the National Front? Because they are totally different. They might have some policies that are the same, which we'll get into, but they are absolutely different. So why is America exceptional? Well, there are many reasons factually why America is different. I'm going to give you a couple right now. First off, America is different and exceptional because you're the only nation in the world, history, historically, or today, that talks about nature's law and has enshrined nature's law and nature's God in your founding documents. Everything else is left up to the law of man. And people don't seem to get sometimes what is the law of man, what's their principles. The point about law of man is there are no principles. It can change. When you have man as your law, you can have these populist wave elections. What's popular today might not be popular in 20 years, and it might be completely different in 40 years, and it might be totally revolutionary different in 100 years. There are certain core principles which America talks about. They're enshrined in your Declaration of Independence and they're enshrined in your Bill of Rights, which were true 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, last week, last month, will be true 10 years from now and will be true 1,000 years from now. And if this world lives till 5,000 years more or 10,000 years more, these laws will be the same. That is a fundamental starting point difference. You have a system that says certain things are eternally true. Not just popular today or yesterday or because they poll tested well with people. No, they are eternally true. Some of them are, all men are created equal. All men are created equal. That is a fundamental thing. You don't look at color. You don't look at age. You don't look at sexuality. You don't look at gender. You just say all men are created equal. What do the rest of the world have? The rest of the world have a class system. Or they have, you know, we're, we're white, we're better than you. Or we're black, we're better than you. Oh, well, I'm middle class. I'm, I'm better than the lower class. But that person who's upper class, they're better than me. Or we judge it on where you went to edu- school. Or what you're judging on your family. Or, you know, well, you, you're only a country person. You're only a country hick. What would you know? I'm from the city. I'm so smarter than you. It also is different because of the role of government. This cannot be underestimated or understated at any time. The role of government is fundamentally different in America. If it Now, it's not today because you run government different. But through your founding principles... The role of government was not to give rights. The role of government was to secure rights for every man and woman and to protect those rights. 
That is the fundamental role of government. Whereas the rest of the world says, no, government gives you your rights. Government will fix the problems. Government will solve all the problems in the world. You have a problem, you need to go to government. Oh, you need, you have some injustice, you need a new law written. America was, no, 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 no. Does the government have a place? Maybe. We can talk about different levels of government. But the people who will solve the problem are the people. Which leads me on to my next point. Another reason America is different is because of the system of government that you have. You have a thing in America called federalism. Now, I know a lot of conservatives haven't heard about this in a long time because they don't seem to want to talk about it, but federalism is the way your government is set up. Every other government in the history of the world started at the top and said, I am the, po- the top person, whether I am a king or a queen, or I am a, a, an autocrat or a dictator, or I'm just a president, or I'm the prime minister. They started at the top and said, I will have these powers for my body, for my office. And then I'll just let everyone else deal with everything else. And then the next body, the parliament, would come and say, well, we want these powers. And the, the people, the local, the councils, or the, or the counties, or the state legislators would then have well, whatever's left. But the power was always concentrated at the top. America was the exact opposite. America was founded on a system called federalism, which is the states have the power. I know a lot of people in D.C. don't seem to, either they've ignored this, or they just don't flat out don't care. But America is set up, Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, has 18 clauses in it. They're called enumerated powers. That is what the federal government can do. And everything else is left to the states. Because your founders, you know, they, you know, I know they were just had wooden teeth and they were slaveholders, but they, they actually had this great concept, and it's, it's a remarkable concept. It's, what's that? Oh, yes, government works best when it's close to the people. Government works best when it's closest to the people. Not some figurehead, not some president sitting in D.C. solving everything. Not some, you know, House Speaker and Senator who never stay in their constituencies, who you never see, you never hear, and they're all the way away in D.C. and you can't communicate with them. Government works best when it's in with the people. Next, the Bill of Rights. America was different because you said, you know what, everyone has these rights. They come from your creator, whether you're a Christian like me and says you have God. Whether you're a Jew and we, we worship the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Whether you believe in Allah. Whether you believe a stone. Whether you believe a leaf. Whether you believe the water bottle you're holding right now. That's your creator. If you believe that's your creator, that gave you rights. We can discuss who the creator is on another show. But you have a creator. And you were born with these rights. That you have certain rights which are inalienable. You cannot take them away because they are yours. Government didn't give you these rights. You were born with them. Your creator gave them to you. The right to free speech. The right to petition your government. The right to freedom of religion. The right to free assembly. The right to protect yourself and bear arms. The right to be secure in your persons and your papers. The right to a speedy trial. The right not to incriminate yourself. You have certain rights. Now, we can agree and disagree on what are those rights. You may not like certain of those rights. And that's, again, that's a conversation for another day. But you have certain rights that come from your creator. 
Every right that I have in Ireland came from a government legislator. Or they think that's where it came from. And they think my rights can come and go if a lot of if populism comes along and because I live in a democracy and we have what we call a referendum system where basically if something which will be we'll be discussing later on and maybe later on in the year in May June of this year Ireland's going to have a referendum on abortion all you need is 50% plus one of the people to turn up and vote and say yes or no and they win it's populism it's democracy and democracy is so wonderful my rights are not for what's popular. In fact, my rights are so enshrined that my rights are there even when they're not popular. If you truly believe your creator gave them to you. But the rest of the world, France, Ireland, England, Germany, don't believe in this. America is exceptional because of the American dream. The dream of you can do anything you want. You have a right to pursue your happiness. You now have a right to be guaranteed success. You don't have a right to happiness. You have a right to pursue your happiness. And you have the right to keep the fruits of your own labor. I always say this to people and I always use, I let people decide what part of society they want to use because it's apt in all of them. It's apt in all. So don't let me say, well, I'm, John is, is guiding the debate. He's, he's giving me a sector to think about. Honestly, have this question for anyone who thinks America is not exceptional. Get them to research any part of society they want. Food, agriculture, storage, communication, tourism, education, medicine, standard of living, quality of housing. You know, I don't know about you. I tend to like indoor plumbing. I don't want to go back to the old days where, you know, you had to go outside to go to the toilet. You know, that's just me. Maybe I'm old-fashioned that way. Take any part of society and take any point in time that you want to, let's just take it a time, arbitrary point in time, 0 AD. If you think it's 2018 now, the time of Christ. Go research that, the advancements that's as part of society made from 0 AD to 1800 AD. 1800 years now look at the advancements in the exact same part of society from 1800 to 2018 why is it in those 218 years you advanced five times 10 times 20 times 100 times a million times in some cases more than you did in the prior 1800 years which was nine times the amount of years why why was there such an advancement because people were allowed to pursue their happiness. People were allowed to say, you know what? Yeah, I only came from a, you know, a single parent home and my parents never had anything. And you know, I came from the worst slums. But I have this idea. I think I can change the world. And if you worked hard and you played by the rules, you could get it. But lastly, and I'll finish up with this for this segment. I always finish the show the same way every week the last thing I want you to hear out of my voice is this America is great because Americans are good and this aggravates a lot of people I know who are not American it aggravates my mother I know that for a fact but that is one of the reasons why you're exceptional because it's your people because when you think of America you think of the people when you think of the solutions to America you think of the people 
When you look at the problems, you think, what can the people do? There's this rugged individualism about America that says, I'll do it, I'll fix it. You can get that in other parts of the country, in other parts of the world. Every time there's a problem, we automatically look to government over here. Let me give you a small story that's affecting England right now. You know KFC, you know the, the place where you go get some fried chicken? Pretty good fried chicken as well. They're having a massive shortage over there, over in England. It's, it's actually so bad that like a lot of people are, are going crazy because they've actually been shut down. They, they literally cannot open because they've no chicken. And, you know, again, the C in KFC stands for chicken. And if you don't have chicken, what do you serve? Oh, come in and get a portion of fries, get a drink. doesn't work. But there's outrage over in England over it. And everyone, every problem that's come from this, they've looked from, to government. What, what can government do? What can government do? Can we write a new law? Can we pass a new law to make sure this never happens again? Can, can we write a new law for the employees to make sure this never happens again? Or if it does happen, that they have protection. Everything is based around what can the government do. We have all these problems and all these, this big problem of no chicken and all the problems that that causes and everything we go, can the government fix it? Can the government fix it? What can Theresa May do? What can the Prime Minister do? What law can we pass? Certain times, you don't need a law. You need common sense. But you need to stop looking at, well, what can someone else do for me? No, what can I do for me? It's about your people. And it's about helping out your fellow man. But so many of us over here, automatically, anytime we see a problem, what's the government's role? Oh, there's a snowstorm. What's the government doing? Oh, the roads are shut. What are the governments doing? Oh, there's this problem in business. What is the government doing? Oh, there's a problem with the economy. What's the government doing? The government can fix the economy, right? No. It's about your people. That, in a nutshell, is why America is exceptional. You're the chalk to everyone else's cheese. You cannot compare America to the rest of the world because you see things, your mental attitude. And this is before you even get to policies, by the way. This is the fundamental difference between you, the way you see the world and the way everyone else sees the world. This is why you're different. This is why, quintessentially, you're exceptional. You're exceptional because you're the only one who sees things this way. Even if you do not like America and you say, everything, John, you just said over the last... 17 minutes, I disagree with everything you've said. Fine. But you have to admit America's exceptional because you're the only nation that thinks this way. That, in its very essence, makes you exceptional, factually. You're exceptional because there's one of you. There isn't another country that goes, yep, I see things that way. Yeah, I see government that way. Yeah, I believe in federalism. Yeah, I believe in nature's law. When we come back, I want to talk to you about left versus right. And I ask you to bear with me because I am getting to a point because I want to talk to you about what Marion Le Pen said this week. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. (laughs) 
The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Freedom's Disciple On Demand. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. So two terms that absolutely annoy the hell out of me because... And I don't care what way you think, if you're Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative. You know, this actually should be one issue that we can find common ground on. If we actually want to be intellectually honest and consistent. The history of the left-right divide. The history of it. Of all the terms America and the world use, it's, it's sometimes the most incredibly frustrating. Because they are not rooted in any principles or any ideology or anything especially in America. It's not like you can say, well, I'm a right-winger because I believe in the Bible or I believe in the Constitution or I believe in liberty and I'm a, left, I'm a lefty because I'm a Democrat or I believe in abortion or I believe in, in high taxation and high public services. There's none of that. The history of the left-right divide is nothing to do with ideology. It's nothing to do with principles. It's nothing to do with policies. Quite simply put, it's where they sat in Congress. Or where they sat in Parliament, using the right term, European Parliament. It's a European term. The left were the communists, the right were the fascists, and everyone else is in the middle. And when you're sat between a a communist and a fascist, the chances are if you're in the middle, it's kind of the center. You know, all of a sudden, the, you're the centrist. You're, you're, the, you're the voice of reason between a communist and a fascist. It has absolutely nothing to do with principles. But yet we play along. You know, it's become language of the day. Oh, you're a Democrat, you're a lefty. Oh, you're a a Republican, you're a conservative, you're a right-winger. And part of the frustration I have with this is, one is because it's not based in principles and this is what this show is about. But secondly, when you make everything just so simple, like left and right... You, it makes it so easy for people to believe this narrative that, well, you know, a lefty in America is the same as a lefty in Europe is the same as a lefty in Australia. And a right-winger in America is the same in, in Europe, in Ireland, in Russia, in, in Australia. It's not. They're fundamentally different things. In fact, even in Europe, where the left-right divide was founded in and was based on, you take a right-winger in Ireland, you take a right-winger in, in England, and you take a right-winger in Germany, and you take a right-winger in Russia... They all stand for different things. They might have some things in common, but they all see things differently. There isn't a consensus because it's based on what the country thinks. And usually it's based upon what the media wants to paint you as. So I want to talk to you about what conservatism is. Because we can talk about what left-right is, but there is no substance. It will change all day long. It will change from country to country. America was never built on a left-right divide. 
In fact, you can't even look, you know, if you've seen all these fancy charts, which a lot of people have spent time and research doing, and, you know, they base where your ideology stands, you know, they go liberal and ultra-liberal and conservative, and they usually have a line, and they start in the left and the right, and they have, you know, well, you're here on this stage. You're here on the chart between left and right. In truth, America isn't even built on a line that goes across left to right. America is built on a line, on many different lines, but it is built maybe on a line that goes top to bottom. And at the top, it's maximum freedom, anarchy. And at the bottom, it's statism, total government control. And people at different stages will be on different pegs on that. And it may change issue to issue. You may want government more involved in one issue and nothing in another. It changes. So America isn't on a left-right scale, it is on a top-bottom scale. But what is conservatism? Well, one of the things I think America needs to understand is there is a fundamental difference, and this is the same for liberal, this is the same for conservatism, this is the same for libertarian, this is the same for republican. Everyone wants to make it about politics and how you vote. There's a fundamental difference between how you vote and your politics and your ideology. Because there are many people on all sides of the aisle who buy into this binary choice, who buy into the lesser of two evils, and who will end up voting quite a lot of the time for presidents, for, for the local congressman, for the local senator, just purely because, hey, they're Democrats, so am I. I may agree with nothing, but hey, you know what? I'm not voting for those evil Republicans. And the Republicans will say the exact same thing. Well, how many times do you see it? Even conservatives, we're going to talk about conservatism. How many times you see people go for, I want this person, I, I really want this person. And then it, I'll give you a prime example. Remember Matt Bevan when he was going against Mitch McConnell? A lot of people love Matt Bevan. A lot of people voted for Matt Bevan. Matt Bevan and Mitch McConnell have zero in common. When it came to the, the general, because Mitch McConnell won, you still voted for Mitch McConnell. Why? Because he was better than the Democrat. This happens on all sides. Our voting record you can talk about if you want to, but there's a fundamental difference in your ideology and your voting record and your politicians. Because here's the thing, conservatism at its very core is an ideology. It is a way of life. It is not something you can just throw around as a label. The fact that you have people over the last five, ten years, people like John McCain been called a conservative, Quite simply put, if you're basing that on ideology, you'll understand that is completely laughable. John McCain has absolutely either doesn't want to, or chooses not to, or is ignorant of conservative principles. I can go around all day to calling myself a liberal democrat. It ain't true. I could go around all day long calling myself a communist. I don't know why I'd want to, but I could. It wouldn't be true. Because anyone who would then listen to me go, okay, so you're communist, what do you stand for? Nature's law. That doesn't sound like communism to me, John. I think you, you got your label wrong there, buddy. People will use the word and the label because it makes them sound good. You know, well, I'm conservative. Conservatism is an ideology, first and foremost. It is a way of life. It is based around principles and life experience. Some of the principles we discussed in the first segment about why America is exceptional. You believe in limited government. 
You believe that when government is involved and there is a role for government, you believe that should be as close to the people as possible. You usually believe in federalism, i.e. federal government, state government, local government. You usually believe in, in freedom of the individual and maximum freedom for everyone. Not for a certain race, not for a certain creed, not for a certain religion, but for everyone. But you also believe in maximum responsibility. Because you understand, because of your life experiences, that if people have all this freedom and they have zero responsibility, nature abhors a vacuum. And if if people are free but they have no self-responsibility, someone has to pick up the slack. And if people aren't going to do that, who is left? Government. So usually, when you're a believer in conservatism, you believe through life experiences that we want you to be as free as possible, but that you have to understand you are responsible for your actions. If things go great, you're responsible. You get to live out the, the, the fruits of your labor. If they are not successful, that's on you. You usually believe in a strong defense. You believe in a strong defense at home, you, which leads you to usually support the Second Amendment big supporters of it, usually support policemen, understanding that there are bad people out there who want to do bad things. And that if you can't solve it, the policeman will, the justice system will. You believe in the military, you support the military. You understand that there are bad actors abroad who want to destroy America because it's a superpower, because of what it stands for, because they see you as the great Satan, because you have freedom. You show up the rest of the world of what is possible. And places like Iran don't like this. And you usually believe in some aspect of the three F's. The three F's been faith, family, and freedom. That is conservatism. When you look at conservatism abroad, let's look at England. You know, they use the word, there's the Conservative Party in Britain. America doesn't even have that, you have the Republican Party. Britain has the word conservative, it's the Conservative Party. Surely that means they're more conservative than American conservatives because they're actually part of the conservative party, right? Wrong. Conservatism in some ways, like America, in Britain, is dying. It's dying since Margaret Thatcher. You know, you look at John Major. You look at Theresa May who's the current Prime Minister, who's the head of the Conservative Party. I look at Theresa May and I kind of go, if she was in 1980 and under Margaret Thatcher, chances are she'd be in Labour, which is the opposition party. In case you don't know. That is how much conservatism has changed. And I look at Theresa May today as a Conservative and I see people like Le Pen as, well, they're the far-right Conservatives in France. They're totally different as well. Conservatism should be an ideology in many ways it is an ideology but because of politics and because of politicians and because of media you've lost the ideology and it's all about the politicians either politicians want to paint themselves as conservative and then they vote totally against conservative principles or the media want to demonize them. Oh, they're conservative. They're they're nasty. They're mean. Don't vote for them. They're they're conservative. They're they're gone Satan. Evil. Everyone boils it down to politics and the political party. Which brings me to Le Pen. This week, CPAC happened. 
in DC. When we come back, I'm going to talk to you about CPAC. And I want to talk to you about Le Pen. And I'm going to read from their own words of what they actually stand for. And when I'm reading from what they actually stand for, I want you just to think of everything I've spoke to you about for the last maybe 30 minutes of about American exceptions, about what conservatism is, and see can you find, hmm, are they just like us or are they just like totally different? Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple On Demand On the Blaze Radio Network Thank you so much for sticking with me, America So I want to talk to you about CPAC Because I'll be honest, I've been chomping to get behind this microphone all week When I heard the news earlier this week of CPAC Inviting Marion Le Pen to speak The granddaughter of, the founder of Le Pen, the National Front I, uh (laughs) I wasn't happy. But I want to start off by, before I get to Le Pen and to the National Front and breaking it down to you. If you support CPAC, and you're going to be unhappy about what I'm about to say, spoiler alert, you're not going to like it. But I do this not to slam you. I'll be honest, I am really ticked off the way CPAC is going. The reason I'm ticked off is not because I want to slam you or because I'm annoyed at conservatives right now. I don't want to slam you. What I want to do is, I don't even want to call you out. I want to just do the best. It's the reason I started the show the way I did, highlighting all the good that you can do of what America really can be and what I hope you will be going forward. CPAC and conservatives have a huge role to play, both in defining the ideology that they stand for, because you do have to define your ideology right now, because you can wrap everything up and say it's conservative, but if it isn't consistent with what I spoke about, it's not conservative. You can call it the new conservative, you can call it the alt-right, you can call it right-wing, whatever you want. You have to define your ideology. Whether you go with traditional conservative principles, which got you and made you the country you are, or if you want to all of a sudden abandon them and go towards the European model. Which is also frustrating, because over the last eight years, I've heard many Democrats saying, you know what we need to do? We need to just be like Europe. And every conservative and Republican, when they hear this, they go crazy. But it seems... That now it's popular to go and listen to the National Front's granddaughter, Marine Le Pen. It's popular to have people like Nigel Farage at CPAC. People who do not share your values, your principles, the way you see life. But hey, maybe that's just me and I'm, I'm, I'm old-fashioned and you're going in a different route. I met Matt Schlapp last year. I interviewed him for Lanterns. Seems like a very, very nice guy. Had a bit of fun with him. Laughed and joked. No issues with him. My question is, why are you doing what you're doing right now? 
Why is CPAC reaching out to Le Pen, to National Front? Why are you giving them a stage, a platform to share their views? Now, I could talk about Le Pen and the National Front's history of anti-Semitism, of racism, of bigotry. I'm not even going to do that. There are plenty of other people who will do that. All you just have to do is Google and you'll see some of the history and the links. I'm going to talk to you about principles and policies. And I'd ask you to see, where is the common ground with some of these policies? And what I'll even do is I'll even start on a favourable platform. Because people always get caught up in this. Immigration. Well, people like Le Pen and, and National Front, they want to limit legal immigration. They want to slash it by quite a lot. On their party platform, France roughly takes about 200,000 immigrants a year. They want to slash it to 10. That is quite a cut. Now, we can debate the arguments of, of legal immigration. Some are for us, some are against us. If there's jobs and you have a good economy, I don't see the problem with legal immigration. Once it's legal and once it's defined and the country has set it out, there are people who I know who are very ultra I don't I hate using labels because it always sounds bad, but you know, more ultra conservative who are like, we don't want anybody. I, I've had some people, I don't think that's a winning argument personally. I think if you have people who share your values and your norms, America was built as a melting pot where you have all these ideas coming together, but you had some shared values. I think it makes the country better. Um, so you have that. You have the, the reduction, a zero-tolerance policy on illegal immigration. Again, that is not for me a right-wing or a left-wing or a conservative position. In, and I know I'm, I say this a lot. To me, that's a common-sense position. If you're going to have laws, follow them. If you, don't, if you like the laws, if you want stricter laws, if you want less laws, go through the political process and change the laws. But to have anyone say on anything, go, well, we have these laws and, hey, there's this, this set of people, French, American or otherwise, saying we just don't follow your laws, bugger it, and not have any consequences is, is kind of ludicrous to me, especially from a status point of view, because you want laws to be enforced and you want to enforce more laws. So you do have immigration somewhat in common with them. You know, where you want no illegal immigration. You, some of you may even want less legal immigration. Then you have that in common with them. The second thing you have in common with them is they're strong on justice and strong on, on, on terrorism. They want, on their, from their platform, when Marion, uh, not Marion, sorry, Marion was the one who spoke, Marie Le Pen was going for the French election next year. So this is kind of where this is from. They want to increase the Justice Department spending. Okay. They want to create more space in prisons. Okay, I can see there's um, how people would say there's you know there's stuff in common there. You know, people are if you're conservative in America, you're strong justice department. If people break the law, there's consequences to it. However, there is this giving. They want to give the police more power to tap phones and internet communications. How is that conservative? How is that American conservative? I thought there was such a thing. Americans usually believe in the Constitution and the Fourth Amendment. Normally you have to get a warrant. But just give them greater power to tap phones, to tap your internet communications. Now, they, the one thing that some of these people and these politicians are great because regardless of what party or what ideology, they say the least to make you, and then you imply what that means. 
Now, it could mean that they want to go through a warrant process and, and then, you know, if you have a suspect, you get a warrant and you say, hey, I, let's just use me as an example, I want, to, I want access to John's phone records, here's the evidence, I think he's been involved in this and I need to have his phone records, I need his GPS to find out where he was or what he said or if he had any communications or if he phoned anyone, I need to look at his internet search engine. Okay, then there's a warrant process and then the judge either says, you have enough evidence, here's your warrant or you need to get more evidence and it's denied. They never say whether you believe in this process. But the Fourth Amendment is pretty clear. You have a right to be secure in your persons and your papers. Another thing they want to do is maintain the French exceptionalism. I don't know how France is exceptional because maybe the fact you had six revolutions and America had one, but that's a different story. They want to promote and favor the French audiovisual industry against foreign competition. Now, before you think, well, that's something like we want. we want. We want protectionist policies. We'll get to protectionist policies as a principle in a minute. But the people that would hurt the most is American companies, by the way. So you might want to think about your support for that. They want to promote the French language internationally. Because they believe, and I quote, language and power go hand in hand. Language and power go hand in hand. Now, is there anything wrong with speaking French? No. Nope. I don't speak it. Is there anything wrong with promoting your own language? No. Is there anything wrong with promoting your own culture? No. However, this is where you'll start seeing some of the differences. They want family benefits, including child support, to be only available to French families. They don't focus in on the French families part. Size of government. Is this is what we are for? Family benefits? Maternal and paternal leave? Child support? Is this a conservative principle? Is this one of the 18 clauses in the Constitution for enumerated powers? Is that the federal government's job? They also want to guarantee the freedom of women to have abortions. Is that a quote-unquote conservative position now? I know it might be tempting to think that with the latest GOP budget that's been passed, where Planned Parenthood is still funded, but traditionally... What was that first word, you know, the three rights in the Declaration of Independence? All men are created equal and certain in certain What was that? F oh, yes, life. Mm -hmm. Maybe conservatism now stands, this new conservatism now stands for abortion. I don't know. That's quite possible. They also want to overturn laws allowing gay marriage. Hmm. They believe a civil partnership is, is plenty adequate. Now, I know... Conservatives don't like this, but because they say this is more a libertarian position, we can discuss the merits of this if you want. I've always been a position of, what the hell is the government doing in any marriage? Marriages can be between anybody. Just let the government do it. If it's in the church, the church decides. If it's man and woman, which is generally the Christian and, and Jewish and Islamic way, and maybe certain tenets of Islam allow more wives. But... Let the religions, why is the government involved in marriage? Why is the government telling who can get married and who can't? A lot of other things you see with them that's very popular, and I know this got a round of applause in Marine Le Pen's speech. They want out of the European Union. This one really frustrates me because it's just a tagline. It sounds great, but if you understand what I spoke about in the first two segments, it's not something we should all celebrate. Let me explain why. The American Revolution. 
A lot of people think the American Revolution was against the British, against the Hessians, against, against the Redcoats. In some ways, that was the, the war. The Revolution had absolutely nothing to do with Britain, the Hessians, or the Redcoats. The Revolution was redefining man's relationship with man and man's relationship with government. You read the Declaration of Independence, it tells you exactly what it's for before it tells you what it's against. In fact, I don't know how many words you have to read in the Declaration of Independence, how many principles you have to get by before Britain and the Hessians are even mentioned against the king. I, I find this frustrating from a person who, who lives in Ireland. You know, I know Americans seem to have this vision of Ireland being this, this great freedom-loving nation. It wasn't. The Irish revolutionaries wanted one thing, home rule. They said it wasn't good to be ruled by a British person. An Irish man should never be ruled by a British person. They should be ruled by an Irish person. And while everyone cheers that and thinks, that, well, that's, that's what's wrong with that thinking, John? Let me be quite blunt. And I know I'm in the vast minority in the world who would say this. I don't care who I'm ruled by. If you have a fundamental understanding of, of nature's law and the way, you, the way I see government, I don't care whether the person who the figurehead is, a president or a prime minister, if they're black, if they're white, if they're the colour of the rainbow, I don't care if they're gay or straight, I don't even care if they're Christian, they could be a Muslim for all I care. If they're leaving me the hell alone, I don't care who the figurehead politician is. Just leave me alone, I'll get on with my life. Brexit is a prime example of this. Because there's this anti-European Union sentiment out there, and I get it, trust me, I am not defending the European Union. I despise the politicians in the European Union. They are despicable. I put the politicians in the European Union in the same breath as I put Hillary Clinton. That's how bad they are. They are vile people. They just sit on their, in their glass houses, kind of going, well, how can we, what law can we pass now? But let's just take Brexit for an example. All this joy, Americans had this great joy of Brexit. It was a great win for freedom. No, it wasn't. My worst fears about Brexit has come true. Should Britain have the right to control its own borders? Yes. Should, should Britain leave the European Union? Yes. But what freedoms has the British people gotten since Brexit? What freedoms have even been discussed for the British people now they're out of the European Union? All you have done is effectively what the Irish did a hundred years ago. Home rule. A British man should be ruled by a British person. A French person should be ruled by a French person. Really? If you have a tyrant who's t controlling every aspect of your life, is passing all these laws, does it really matter what nation they're from? If you have a tyrant that is, is living and telling you, uh, passing all these regulations, all these laws telling you what you can do, what you can buy, when you can buy it, how you can buy it. They're having all this control over your life. They're telling you what way you can drive, how you can drive. They're telling you how much of your own money you can keep. They're telling you how to run your business. They're telling you how, how many employees you can have. They're passing all these regulations. You can't use this product at this time. Does it really matter what nationality they belong to? Oh, well, my, you know, I'm Irish, and the person who's telling me all these things is Irish, so we have some kinship, we have some bond, it's okay. But, you know, if, if a British person came in and told me to do that, oh, he'd be up in arms. Really? Is, is, is that the level of the thinking? 
Because that seems to be the popular thinking right now. In France, it's all about, well, we just got a French person's got to rule a French person. Okay, if that's your thing, go for it. I'd rather be ruled by no one. And if I have to have a tyrant, it's not going to give me some comfort if, if the tyrant is, happens to be and born in the same country as I am. They want to establish the primacy of national laws over European laws. Again, that sounds great. Should the country do that? Yes. Again, what I spoke about a couple of weeks ago regarding legal immigration, the United Nations, international law gives you the right, the oldest international law is state sovereignty, the right to control what goes well on within your own borders. So your national law, again, there is some common policies, but principles are exact dif- exactly the difference. Um, when it comes to foreign policy, just think about this from a conservative American point of view. France and the National Front want to do two things. They want a new pan-European of sovereign states, which includes Switzerland and Russia. And they want a creation of a trilateral alliance between France, Germany and Russia. Now I know there's been major changes over the last two years in, in many people's opinion on Russia. And while I don't have the time to get into it today, Russia is not your friend. I feel sorry for you if you think Russia is an ally. Russia has never been an ally of America. Russia has never been an ally of America. They are the exact opposite of you. They were not an ally in World War II. They were not an ally during the taunt. They were not an ally. In fact, they were your sworn enemy 20, 30 years ago the whole Cold War, and they are not an ally under Vladimir Putin. This consensus or this opinion that, oh, Vladimir Putin, he's a good guy, really. Please, look, if you think anything like that, please do some research. He is a really bad, dangerous guy, and he is playing you. He is playing your people, and he is supporting far-right people through Alexander Dugan, in France, in Germany, in Greece, in Italy, to stoke up detentions. So this is what you have. But let me get back down to simple things. When did Conservatives stand for this policy? Quote, we want the simplification of the tax code with an income tax ceiling of 46% for the highest earners. When did that become a quote-unquote conservative position? The highest tax rate of 46%? Hmm. They also want a toughening of import duties to protect French manufacturers. They want to create a system to protect French jobs. They want to reorganize and renegotiate French treaties. Now I get there's a lot of people in conservatism who are somewhat open today to some type of trade negotiations or or some type of tariffs, you know, to protect American jobs. Let me boil this down, and it's one of the reasons I try in each show, or as many shows as I can, to break down economics to its fundamental core. I want you to imagine something. Just look at something that's around you right now. It can be anything. Bed, blinds, whatever device you're listening to this on, your computer, your iPad your iPhone, your Android, whatever it is. 
Just think of a product. And imagine I'm standing right next to you and you want to sell me that product. And you're an American and I'm an Irishman. And you go, hey, I got this iPhone. It's absolutely awesome. It's secondhand. It's unscratched. It's barely used. It's really good. I just need some money. Give me, I don't know how much you in secondhand iPhone. Let's just say for argument's sake, give me $200 for it. And I go, okay, I'll give you $200 for it. Deal. That's free trade. You have a product, or if you want to think of a service you have, and I decide to buy it. Free markets and free enterprise says, you have a product, you have a service, I'm a customer, I want to buy it. You've set a price, I've set my price, we've agreed a price, we ch- that transaction takes hands. I give you the $200, you give me the iPhone, and we're all happy. That is freedom at its core. When you are supportive or open to tariffs, what you're effectively saying is, that relationship, that transaction me and you had of me buying your iPhone for $200, your used iPhone for $200, we're not the only people who are involved in that transaction. What you're saying is that other people's opinion matter in that transaction. It matters what the U.S. president and the U.S. Congress thinks of the Irish politicians and the Irish state. It matters what the relationship is between your country and my country. It matters what trade agreements that you have. It matters on who thinks they're getting the better deal out of that trade agreement. All these other things come into place when you think there's a tariff. And then you're also giving the federal government power through the Congress passing a law and the president signing it saying, you know what, if you come from Ireland, we're going to charge you a tariff of 10%. So in effect, that $200 iPhone I'm going to buy off you now is worth $220. Now, I, by the way, I used an example of one-to-one. I'm to, and for tariffs, it's businesses. I know that. I'm just giving you, trying to make a very simple analogy. So what happens when you have tariffs? Well, using that example, if Ireland decided to do that, I would pay... to you, and I'd pay $20 to the Irish government because they don't like America or they're not happy with America or they feel they've gotten a raw deal from America. So it's basically a tax. It's not a tariff. It's not, you know, protecting American jobs. It's a tax to the government. It's more income to the government. And again, how is this a conservative position? Limited government, numerated powers, federalism, maximum freedom, but yet we're for tariffs. We're for protectionism. But again, let me go down the other angle of this. One of the things we spoke about when we spoke about conservatism in the last segment was maximum freedom, maximum responsibility. If a country you are dealing with, if you're an international trader, if you have some product or service in America that you're offering, and you're offering it to other people, Is it your responsibility or is it the government's responsibility to make business easy for you? Now, is there a role for some government? Sure, to make free trade better, to let your products in and then accept other people's products. Is that an aspect of business? Sure. Is that an aspect of government? Yes. But is it your responsibility, is it the government's responsibility to do your job for you? No. If you can't compete 
If you cannot compete without government handouts, then that's your problem. You need to find a competitive advantage to get people to shop in your product your store to get buy your products. If you can't compete with someone else, that's on you. That's not on the government to come. Hey, I'm. Hey, I elected you. You need to make this playing field fair. Really? That's not free markets. You may think it is, but it's not. The first word in free markets is free. If you can't compete on price, you compete on other things. You offer better service. You offer better communication. You better offer more promotion. You make yourself more available. You open different hours. You find the way to make your business more competitive. It is your job as a business owner to make your business succeed, not the federal government. Because at the end of the day, every transaction comes down to your business and one individual. And the fact that people can think, if you believe in freedom, say, you know what? Your transaction, me buying a product from you, is not just me buying a product from you. There's all these millions of people's opinions that matter and whether I should be allowed to buy that product to you or whether I should be allowed to sell that product to you. That, for me, I don't get. But lastly, and Marion Le Pen spoke about this at CPAC. She spoke about populism. Populism is not consistent with what I spoke about in the first segment. In fact, your founders rejected populism. How do I know they rejected populism? Because the way they set up government. They set up your house to be elected every two years, your president to be elected every four, and your senate to be elected every six they understood that certain things will happen at certain times that will make it popular to act in a certain way. That emotions will get riled up. That either emotions will get riled up and a political party will take advantage or emotions will get riled up and people will demand politicians act a certain way. And there may be wave elections. But they set up your body to be elected every two, four, and six years to stop wave elections, to stop the impact of wave elections. America was never about populism. It was about doing the right thing. Because as I said earlier on, the Bill of Rights was true 240 years ago. Sorry, not 240 years ago, 1791. 217 years, 227 years ago, sorry, on the spot there. I was thinking about the Declaration of Independence. It was true 200 it was actually true 2000 years ago. It was true 227 years ago and it'll be true 227 years in the future. These rights are from your creator. They're not for populism. They're not to be popular. They're eternally true whether they are popular or not. Doesn't matter. They are eternally true. They came from your creator. They talk of nature's law. Would it be great if all these law, all these principles were popular all the time? Absolutely. But populism is man's law. It's popular now. But there is no consistency among populism. Why? Because populism changes. It may be popular to be anti-Muslim today. 50 years ago, it was probably popular to be anti-Jewish in certain parts of France. In a 50 years from tomorrow, it may be popular to be anti-Catholic. 
In a hundred years, it might be popular to be anti-Mormon. I don't know. The names change, the label change. There is nothing consistent with populism. Why? Because by its very nature, nation, nature, excuse me, it's about being popular. It's nothing to do with eternally true. When we come back, I just want to make one last point about Marion Le Pen, what she said this week. But also I want to talk to you about, because one of the arguments, every time I make this conversation with people, they go, well, John, we need a big tent. We need a big tent. We need to outreach. I'm going to answer how you get a big tent when we come back. Don't go anywhere, America. Pat Gray. The mainstream media, they don't care. They don't think about this oh. issue at all. Now I know. Thank you. Thank you, illegal aliens, for bringing your children here and putting them into this terrible situation where they're at the mercy of these idiots. People like Nancy Pelosi figuring out their future. Way to go. That was a great job. Way to go. Pat Gray. Weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple On Demand. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. Just to finish one point... Marine Le Pen said at CPAC this week, and I quote, Without nation and without family, the limits of the common good, natural law, and collective morality disappears as the reign of egoism continues. It's nice she used the word natural law. It's nice. She, I don't think she knows anything about it. But it's nice that she even used the word. What you will find with people who are right-wingers, who believe in populism in Europe is they always say, without the nation. Without the nation, we are nothing. And while I get there is a certain element of truth with that, it's not the nation that makes you. America is not great because of America, the nation of where you're located. America is not great and exceptional because of the nation that you have, the size of it, the scope of it, the climate. Does it all add up in some small part? Yes. Whereas for these people, the nation is everything. What makes America exceptional is your principles. And you'll note from her words, she never mentions that. Without the nation, without the family, the limits of the common good, natural law and collective morality disappears. Politicians and people who are around politicians tend to use vague language so that you can interpret what they say into your own brain and to kind of make them it means different things for different people the word principles is missing for a reason but also she uses the term common good common good we get this so much you're getting it right now with your gun debate in America well you just need common sense the common good. We just need to ban ARs and AR-15. Because it looks scary. It's an assault rifle. It's a weapon of war. We're going to get to that in a minute. But the common good is always... It's just another way of saying, what's popular? Nothing is based in principles. The question I have for you, CPAC, because I believe you can play a huge role in the revival of America if you remember what conservatism actually is and start promoting us and start being a voice. Look, 
If it gets to a point and there's two people, there's a Republican and a Democrat, and you decide the Republican we have a better chance with, okay, go for it. Say that. Promote that. But at least always be consistent to your ideology. Because the future of America, of the world, of freedom is at stake. And freedom isn't doing so hot right now. Not when you have countries like Ireland who are the fourth freest. That should, that should scare the hell out of everyone. But this big tent argument I hear. John, you know, look, the reason their CPAC invited Marine Le Pen probably this week is, you know, they want to outreach. They want to connect with European people. They, they want to, you know, have this big tent. I am all for a big tent. But how do you get that big tent is where we differ. You see, there seems to be this analogy that the only way you get a big tent is to be more accepting of things you know are not true. Now, if you believe in the law of man, that works for you. If you believe in the law of man, you can just kind of go, well, look, maybe we're not totally 100% on this principle. Maybe we're 75%, but we have this room for maneuver. So we'll, we'll, we'll widen our tent a bit for the people who believe some of what we believe. And we let more people in, and that way we win more elections. Let me be blunt. The way you win a big tent is not by changing what you believe, especially if you believe it's eternally true and you're basing it off the laws of nature and nature's God. They are consistent, they are steady, they do not change. If you change them, by default you're actually weakening your tent. Because you're saying these are eternally true, but then you're kind of going, well, maybe they're not. Come vote for us anyway. You're sending mixed messages to people. But also, what if you forget the politics and you forget the policies? Conservatism is a mix of libertarianism and conservatism when it's at its best. Especially more libertarian when it comes to economics. What message is more big tent and more inspiring than, hey, look, here's the simple thing, right? You're born in America. Regardless of your color, your race, your sexuality, your creed, your religion, all this stuff other people care about. We don't look at you as a hyphen. We don't look at you as a label. We don't look at you. Who, we don't care who you sleep with. We don't care who you're married to. We don't care your race. Here's what we're going to say to you, right? You're free. Oh, you're black? Okay, I'm white. We're the same. We're equal. Oh, you're Hispanic and you're gay. Well, I'm Christian and I'm straight and I'm white. We're the same. You're not better than me and I'm not better than you. You want to get a big tent? How about sharing that message? How about sharing a message that says, you know what? Let me sum, sum this up for you. The libertarian ideology. We're slowly taking over the world to leave you the hell alone. We're not going to tell you how to live because you control your destiny. You control how you live. Because here's the thing. You know what's best for you, not me. I don't know what's best for you. I don't know anything of your life. You know what's best for you. And if I don't know you from talking to you what's best for you, I can guarantee you some policymaker in D.C. is not going to know what's best for you. Because what's best for you is not going to be what's best for the other person, which is not going to be what's best for someone else. That's the problem with the laws. It's just one package fits all, and we put people who are different ages, different races, different sexualities, different backgrounds, different families, different religions, and kind of think, if we just pass this law, it will suit everyone. It won't. Let people decide their own course. You want a big tent? 
Say to people, hey, I don't care where you've come from. You could come from the slummiest of the slums slums. If you have an idea, you can make it. If you want to work hard, you can make it. And guess what? We'll be cheering you all along the way because we understand that by you being successful, everyone is successful because you employ people. You you might get a business. You get money, which you know. then you'll spend. You'll buy a new car. You'll buy a house. That creates jobs. But we'll also understand that if you're successful, you've obviously offered someone a product or a service, which makes people's lives better or more you know, less convenient, more convenient. Everyone wins when you're successful. We're going to be cheering you on and we're going to let you keep the fruits of your own labor. You want a big tent? How about start sharing these? You want a big tent? How about sharing some of these in some communities that you don't dare go? How about sharing this message of liberty in certain places, in certain cities that have been so run by tyranny that I can't remember the last time someone probably, I don't even know if anyone has ever saw a conservative. How about that if you want to grow a big tent? We all agree that you need a big tent. It's how you get it. Do you compromise your values or do you actually, and I'll use language that people are always uncomfortable with, do you want to do a sales job on people and convince them your way is best? Because conservatism is based in principle and it is based on life experience. But also I would remind people, this big tent, it's popular. But don't ever forget your roots and your family. Using the old John Adams quote, 33% were pro-freedom and wanted to leave. 33% were pro-stay and 33% didn't care. Maybe you don't need a big tent. Maybe you only need 33% who want to leave, who want to stand for something. Which leads me on to some other things. I want to finish up today's show by how you get a big tent. You need to understand the optics that you have. You do not get a big tent. And you do not get people to join your cause if you have people running around on their shows on certain networks telling sports stars to shut up and dribble. How many people saw that comment who weren't traditionally conservative or Republican and went, yeah, I'm with her. I think she's right. You know, that's it. You go tell him to shut up and dribble. You know, every time I hear outrage, and I get frustrated as well, I'm not saying I don't, would... Uh, all these Hollywood actors and elites, you know, just shut up and act. Just shut up and do your stuff. Just I don't want to hear your politics. I always wonder, if they said something they liked, would they have the exact same opinion? If the sports star in question, LeBron James, had come out and said, because it was Laura Ingram who said shut up and dribble, I wonder if he came out and said Donald Trump is the greatest president of all time, would a reaction be, yeah, just shut up and dribble. I just want to see you play basketball. I don't want to hear your political opinion. A funny feeling the answer would be, I think she'd be rather silent on that. In fact, she'd probably praise him for coming out as being so brave and so wonderful. Telling sports stars to shut up, actually, let me go one step further. Telling anyone to shut up is usually a sign you've lost the argument. Telling someone to shut up is like saying you have nothing to contribute. I can't debate you anymore, so just leave me alone. 
Really? Is that conservative? Is that how you get a big tent? How many people do you think she got to her tent, quote-unquote, by saying, shut up and dribble? Especially in this world of social media. You know who else you don't get a big tent? And this is going to annoy some of you. You don't get a big tent by disrespecting kids. I've watched, I watched parts, a couple of minutes of that debate the other night on the gun control. i got to be honest, it was the most pointless debate I've ever seen. It was pointless that CNN did it, it was pointless it was set up, and it was pointless that you had that sheriff and my old colleague Dana Lash at it. It was pointless, I'm sorry to say. Because everyone, it wasn't a town hall. It was a mob. It was a mob. And unless you said the right key words, they booed you. I get the frustration. I feel sorry for these kids because I do believe they've been used. But what frustrates me more is the parents are letting them be used. They've gone through a horrific traumatic event that chances are they will never ever forget it will leave a mark on them for the rest of their lives and they're out talking to the media I get the frustration with what they're saying but respecting kids isn't the answer conservatism is about compassion it's about family. It was one of the three F's. Fate, family, and freedom. Chances are, everyone listening to this has gone through some major trauma in their life. And that trauma may or may not be losing someone very, very close to them. Or surviving, or losing someone in a horrific event. Put yourself back into that time. Were you clear-headed? Were you like so stone-faced that you had no emotion, that you were totally rational thinking, that logic was flowing through your brains that day? Or were you angry? Were you upset? Were you hurt? Were you emotional? Did you cry? Did you lash out at someone maybe even? I get what these kids are saying and I, I don't agree with one thing they've said. But lashing out of them is not only wrong in my eyes, it's not compassionate. It's not about conservatism the way I see it. It also doesn't make the tent any bigger. How many people joined the tent going, hey, yeah, you know what, I, I used to be liberal, and what changed you? Well, I, I saw some people disrespecting kids online, telling they're only 15 and they're stupid and they're idiotic and, and there's crisis actors, and I, I just all of a sudden had this epiphany that I needed to be a conservative. How many people joined the tent because of that? Or how many people got uncomfortable in the tent and kind of went... I don't think I'm with those people. They're saying pretty nasty things about those kids. I'd ask you to think about some of the stuff you've seen said about these kids. If it was your kid, how would you respond? I would ask you to remember about compassion. You know, people don't like George Bush. I get it. But one of the things that I think he was most successful at, he was showing compassion to everyone, even when they were slamming him. If you've been around politics long enough, you might remember him and Cindy Sheen. She lost her son in the, in the war. She said some of the most horrific, vile things 
about George Bush and how did he respond? Did he get nasty? Did he call her names? Nope. Showed her compassion. How many people actually had respect? Even who, people who thought George Bush was Satan himself, who saw the way he responded to her and kind of went, maybe he isn't all that bad. Because she said some nasty stuff and he didn't respond. And lastly, how do you get a bigger tent? By understanding it's not always about winning. I know a lot of people are happy right now. That's certain, you know, you have a Republican House, you have a Republican Senate, and you have Donald Trump in the presidency. You've won, right? And now, next year, or sorry, this year, it's 2018, there's going to be midterm elections. And I don't know how they're going to go, I don't particularly care, but you're going to probably win, maybe again, right? You're going to keep the House, you're going to keep the Senate, and Donald Trump will obviously still be president until the elections in 2020, and who knows what will happen then. It's all about the next election, right? It's all about winning. But what is the point in winning if nothing changes? What is the point in winning if you believe in conservative values? What is the point in holding all three branches of government and controlling all the states if you're going to start talking about gun bans? I've heard some really bad policies this week. I've heard people support uh, a ban on people buying an AR-15. And thinking that's going to be the solution. Really? That's like going into a candy shop going, hey, you know what? We're going to ban Snickers, but no one's going to eat candy. It's going to get another weapon. I've heard some really bad suggestions that, you know what? The, the Second Amendment, I know it says, shall not be infringed. But you know what we need to do? If you're not 21, you can't own a gun. Really? So you're going to take an 18-year-old who can go overseas who can fight for his country, who can stand up to some of the most vile men and women that have ever existed, but they can't protect themselves in their own home. I've heard people say, you know what? You know what we need? We need, we need to stop these weapons of war, these weapons of, of destruction. We need common sense gun control. I've heard the arguments this week of, well, you know, they're killing machines. Mm-hmm. They absolutely are killing machines. Everyone should tell everyone that a gun is a killing machine. Everyone needs to understand, if you point a gun at someone, there's usually only a few outcomes that happen. You shoot them and kill them. You shoot them and wound them. You don't shoot them. They're absolutely killing machines. It is a right to self-defense. If you have a bad guy with a gun and you have a, you're, you've been attacked, or you're protecting yourself and your family, and you have a gun... You're damn right you want it to be a killing machine. You don't want to go, ah, oh, look, it's, I know I have a gun and I know you're tempted, but it's not a killing machine. It won't kill you, don't worry. It'll just, it'll just look at you really nasty. What frustrates me about this debate that's happening right now, everybody's making it about the gun. Everyone's making it about the NRA. No one's talking about the heart. No one's talking about freedom. No one's talking about how you have a right to self-defense. No one's talking it seems, about how do we stop these things. There's been some talk, but not much. Everyone is so caught up in, we need gun control. We need to look to government. Government must be our saviour. Government must save us once again. We just need a law. 
we need a law. Like the law of prohibition. That worked out well, right? Hmm. Yeah, we just need a law. You know, kind of like the laws you have in the books for, you know, I don't know, immigration. Of how you can get into your country legally and not illegally. Yeah, because that worked. People always follow those laws, right? You know, like the laws you have in your books of, you know, when you apply for a visa and your visa runs out and then you got to go back to the country you came from. You know, people never overstay that visa, right? You know, like the laws that, you know, I don't know, make drugs illegal. You know, yeah, we just need a law. That's, 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 that's what you need, a law. You know, because no one ever does drugs. You know, like, you know, like the laws you have in the books, you know, the, the speed limits. Yeah, because no one ever, ever speeds. That, that's... Yeah, that's going to solve everything, isn't it? Just get a law. Get a law. Get the politicians doing something. Because, hey, you know, the politicians need to have a clear conscience that, hey, we tried. We did something. You didn't solve the problem, but we did something. And we're all happy about this. America's not about winning. It's about doing the right thing. I'll leave you with this thought. The difference is about conservatism in some ways, but definitely America, is it was never about winning. Ever. Your 54 signers of the Declaration of Independence didn't sign to declare their independence from Britain knowing they were going to win. They didn't sign it thinking it's all going to be an easy ride and it's all freedom and, and, and yippee-i-a from now on. We're all just going to have a wonderful time. It's going to be a great world. They signed it because they knew they wanted a better future. But they also knew they probably would lose. They signed it anyway. America is exceptional because you had men and women founding your nation who risked it all for a chance. A chance at a brighter tomorrow. Not for them, not for their families, but for everyone. That is why America is exceptional. Other nations, sure, they had people who have risked it all, but all it was was to have a chance to have someone rule over them who was of their blood, of their kinship, of their nation. America was great. Because founders risked it all, knowing they would probably lose, but were willing to do it anyway. And by the way, those founders, those 54 signers of the Declaration of Independence, they weren't like me. They weren't poor. They weren't peasants. They weren't slaves. They were the rich of the day. They were the millionaires and billionaires that we all are supposed to hate. They risked it all. They had everything. They had land. They had money. They had stature in society. They risked it anyway. And if you want something fun to look at, which is actually kind of tragic as well as fun, look at, do some research on those 54 founders and how many of those actually lived and how many of them actually got to see what America would become or how many paid the ultimate price. Just something to think about. You want a big tent? Make it about something bigger. Make it about something real. Don't look to the past. Don't look at just winning elections. Make life, show people a vision of how life can be better. How their lives can be better. How you can give them that opportunity. But how they can make a difference in the world. By standing for real freedoms. I hope this show has given you 
plenty to ponder on, plenty to think about. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. As always, the show goes live 12 noon Eastern every Saturday. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. You can catch us anywhere. Check out the website, freedomsdisciple.com. Drop me a message. I'm not hard to find on social media, Twitter, at Freedom Disciple, uh, Facebook, at uh, JonathanDunn58. I love hearing from you. I love engaging with you. If you disagree with me on today, reach out and let me know. We'll have a discussion. Until next Saturday. We, we finish up by saluting your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel and your vets. The men and women who risk their lives, their fortunes. And with honour, they stand for everyone 24-7. And lastly, never forget this. America is great because Americans are good. Until next Saturday, God bless America. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.